This is Katie and Kay. Good afternoon. Coming up next is Ask the Vet. And with me on the phone, I have two people from Aspen Animal Hospital, Louise Marin, who is a veterinarian there, and Darren Hauser, who is a nurse there. Hello, can you hear me? Hi, yes, we can hear you. This is Darren. I'm the nurse here. Hi, and I'm Dr. Marin. Great. How are you two doing today? Doing pretty good. It was a pretty busy day here today. Awesome. And um, what are we going to be talking about today? Yeah, so um, this month is actually Cancer Awareness Month, so uh, we were figuring we could talk a little bit about that. Um, It's also Diabetes Awareness, so if we kind of run out of things to talk about with cancer awareness, we can definitely segue into that. So, Yeah, sounds in, important, and um, uh, yeah, let's take it from there. Yeah. Yep, and as always, being a call-in show, we're open to questions of any sort. They don't have to be related to topics, so... Absolutely. And if listeners want to call in, that number is 970-963-2976, and I'll be here waiting for those. Yeah, so, um, gosh, I guess first starting off, what does it really mean by Pet Cancer Awareness Month, would you say? You know, I think we have just different times of the year that are um, designated by some of our national organizations, the American Veterinary Medical Association, um, just to help the profession focus on certain important topics and distribute information to the public. So cancer is uh, as prevalent in our animal patients as it is in humans, it would seem. In this valley, in the Roaring Fork Valley, in this region, we fortunately have many of the pets in households where they're considered family and they're really well cared for. So um, we don't see as many illnesses and injuries as we do some of these other types of problems like tumors and cancer. So it's actually something that's uh, pretty high on the list of problems that we treat in our local patients. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree with you that we do see it as one of the higher things that we see. Um, What would you say would be one of the more common ones that we are seeing recently? I guess not recently, but in general. So really, tumors can arise anywhere in the body from any tissue. Uh, Some of the more common categories of tumors that we see are those that arise on the skin. Um, Those are ones that often owners bring their pets to be seen by a veterinarian and alert us to their concerns because of the visible and palpable nature of skin tumors. Um, We also can find tumors in the mouth uh, as well as tumors internally. So the tumors that develop on internal organs like in the belly or in the chest, those ones are a lot more difficult to detect and they require more detective work. Now, there's probably a lot of people asking out there, um, how do you tell if a skin mass is, you know, if that's cancerous or not? That's a good question. Um, and it probably you'll get different answers from different people. But the guidelines that we use here are if a mass is rapidly growing or if it is show, causing changes to the skin or disruption to the patient. So um, 
know, certainly some benign masses can grow rapidly, but it's much more common for the tumor to be malignant if it's growing quickly. Um, and then as far as changes to the character of the skin, I mean, if the skin loses the hair or becomes ulcerated or is just really red and inflamed, and or if the pet seems to be in pain from the mass, if they're itching or chewing at it, those can be signs of um, a bigger problem. It's not 100%. Uh, certainly, they can get um, irritating or inflamed benign masses as well. So that just kind of highlights the importance of the cytologic evaluation of masses, which is where we collect a sample of cells, usually just with a needle. It's a pretty non-invasive procedure to collect a few cells and look at them under the microscope. And that gives us usually a pretty good idea of whether a mass is going to be more benign versus more malignant. Right. Yeah, definitely agree. I definitely tend to see at our hospital that um, kind of during our wellness checks, that's one of our questions is if there's any lumps or bumps, and I feel like we check them pretty frequently, and, and some of them we just monitor. So, um, now, Dr. Barron, what would you say, um, just kind of going into the nitty-gritty, we have a patient you know, that we've diagnosed with cancer. What's our next step? So cancer in animals is just the same as cancer in people. There's different kinds of tumors, and even within those different categories, a lot of times there are subcategories. So kind of the name of the game is to, to identify as specifically as possible what the tumor is, what kinds of cells they are, and how aggressive we expect them to behave. And so although we can get that initial cell sample with a pretty non-invasive prick of a needle, the more informative sample is going to be an actual chunk of tissue, which requires um, a little a surgery to actually take a biopsy sample. Um, so the biopsy sample allows us to more specifically define the type of tumor, and then we go into staging which is where we look for evidence of spread to other places in the body. The most common places that tumors will spread to are lymph nodes. Um, they can spread to the lungs, which when, they, when there are tumors in the lungs, they're often fairly obvious to detect on chest x-rays. So we will take chest x-rays. And then to look for spread of tumors to abdominal organs, like the liver or the spleen, um, that requires an ultrasound kind of moving into further diagnostics, making sure we know what it is, and then kind of going from there for sure. Um, as always, it is a call-in show, so if anybody out there has any questions, um, please feel free to call us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the number to get in is 963-2976, um, and we're talking about pet cancer awareness. Um, now, Dr. Marin, um, we were kind of talking about those internal tumors going through that kind of cancer stuff. Um, I would say that there's probably some people out there with questions about chemotherapy. Is it, uh, is it kind of just like humans where it's super intense on the body, or um, would you say it's kind of better tolerated? You know, chemotherapy is such an emotionally loaded word. Um, and, and really, the definition of the word is chemicals. You know, and, and really most of our medications would fall in that category. So chemotherapy doesn't mean just one thing. It doesn't mean 
you know, a series of injections that's going to make all your hair fall out and make you feel terrible. Um, there are oral medications, and there's a variety of different combinations of medications. So, um, so you know, to say chemotherapy isn't necessarily that classic picture right. that we all kind of have in mind. Um, and we don't use the same types of protocols. We use the same types of medications but different doses and different schedules, and many of our veterinary patients tolerate that fairly well, um, typically a lot better than the protocols that are used in humans. I think the protocols used in humans tend to be a lot more aggressive. Definitely. Yeah, I would say of the few patients that I've seen go through it, they've done remarkably well, um, and I definitely agree with you with chemotherapy. Sometimes people think of it as a really scary word, just because, you know, in the human world, like you said, you have that classic picture of hairlessness and it's horrible, but um, I feel like we're pretty fortunate that our patients tolerate it pretty well. And they tend to have a pretty good attitude about it, too, wouldn't you say? Yeah, so fortunately, animals don't have really the emotional baggage yeah. around the idea of a terminal illness, so they just you know, and certain animals, there's so many variables. Some animals are really happy-go-lucky, and they just enjoy our interactions and the inconvenience of a needle prick or, you know, a temporary stay in a kennel just really doesn't phase them. And those patients are really great candidates for treatment. Exactly. Food-motivated is our best friend, yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially since we carry peanut butter and squeezy cheese. I think they love it for sure. And just as a reminder, uh, this is Ask the Vet, and if you have any questions, um, please feel free to call in. We would love to hear from you guys. The number to reach us here is 963-2976, um, and again, if you uh, missed it, we are talking about Pet Cancer Awareness Month. Um, I actually have a question here from the studio. Um, I'm just curious about the age of animals who tend to get diagnosed with cancer. I assume it's older animals, but I mean, humans, of course, too, can get these things at a young age. Um, how does that translate into the animal world? It's pretty consistent. We can see tumors in younger animals, um, specifically bone tumors are somewhat more frequent in younger animals, say, you know, around the age of five and up. Um, but like humans, more often we see cancerous tumors in older animals somewhere around the age of seven to eight and upwards from there. Good to know. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of what else are probably common questions as far as cancer goes for patients. Um, well, I can say some people uh, ask at their veterinary appointments if you can do blood work to detect a tumor in dogs and cats. and Although there are several blood tests and genetic markers available on the human side, we don't quite have that available on the animal side yet um, on a widespread available basis as far as, you know, there are certain specialty labs at universities that have availability of some things like that. But in general, at your regular veterinarian, the blood work that we run looks at blood cell counts and organ function. It's not going to have any sort of indication on there if there's, to say that there's a tumor. Now, you might find abnormalities on blood work that point
a certain organ not being healthy, and then we can investigate that with imaging, like an X-ray or an ultrasound, to look for evidence of a tumor affecting that organ. Definitely good point for sure. That actually just made me think. Um, is there any? Would you say there? If there's any like preventative stuff you can do, or is that mostly just kind of going to your annual checkups and keeping on top of those lumps? Absolutely, Darren. Um, that annual checkup, and you know, I I hear sometimes from people, oh, my animal is so healthy, they don't need to go to the vet, and and I can understand how that might be easy to believe, um, but a lot of times, you know, when a tumor develops, you don't see outward signs of it, and certainly when a tumor develops on an organ in the belly, um, you're not going to see signs of that or detect it until it's in pretty advanced stages. So. Um, you know, once a year isn't maybe necessarily frequent enough to catch any and everything, but it's our opportunity to try to catch things when they're still smaller, less severe, more manageable. And one of the things that we do on our physical exam is to palpate the abdominal organs. And you a lot of times can feel if there's a tumor growing in there. Um, so that's one of the things. And then also, you know, we look at things at places on the pets that aren't always top of mind, like under the tail and around the anus and under the lips and, you know, to the back of the mouth, some places where just on your day-to-day -day living with your animal, you're not going to observe. Right. Exactly. I think that definitely highlights the importance of it. Um, yeah, so just again as a reminder, um, this is Ask the Vet. Uh, we're covering the topic of pet cancer awareness. Um, this is a call-in show, so if you guys have any questions out there, please feel free to give us a call. The number to get us here is 963-2976. Um, gosh, I feel like we've pretty much covered everything as far as, as well, as pretty superficial as we can go with um, pet cancer awareness. Um, do you want to maybe segue into diabetes a little bit? Yeah, we sure can do that. I'll just make one more comment on cancer in animals in terms of treatment, because we've talked a little bit about uh, diagnosis. In terms of treatment, there are lots of options. And so anytime your animal gets diagnosed with a cancerous tumor, you want to be sure and have all the information that you could possibly get to make informed decisions about how to proceed. I think, you know, we have for some people tend to get kind of a doom and gloom perspective when they yeah. get hear that big scary C word. And I learned well from one of my dear friends and colleagues who I went to veterinary school with and then she went on to become board certified as a veterinary oncologist. Um, but cancer can be considered just like any other disease in pets. So if a and diabetes is a good example. Diabetes is something that, you know, a dog or cat will live with for the rest of their life. There are other diseases like Cushing's disease or, you know, allergies, a lot of conditions that are chronic and require ongoing therapy. And cancer can fall into that category with some tumors. Some tumors are more aggressive and they're going to, you know, cause death sooner or deteriorate quality of life to the extent that that is no longer, um, you know, a feasible option. But certainly when we speak about treatment for cancer in animals, there's lots of options. 
And so chemotherapy is one. Chemotherapy can be anything from, you know, the series of injections that can be pretty intensive and a little bit scary, although it is often tolerated well, or it can be potentially just an oral medication, a tablet that's given every day or every other day. Um, there's also surgery, which sometimes can be curative. Um, and, you know, the surgical capabilities of your local veterinarians uh, can sometimes be limiting. There are multiple board-certified veterinarians here locally in the Roaring Fork Valley, but also, you know, keep in mind that there are universities and veterinary surgeons at other places that have just kind of amazing capabilities. You Davis, Colorado State University, which is, you know, reasonably close. Uh, there's also radiation therapy, which is available at a couple different facilities on the front range, including Colorado State University. There's been a lot of amazing advancements made in radiation therapy, so they can really dial it in. It helps it be more effective and cause less negative side effects. So chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation are kind of the top three. Of course, you'll, if you go searching on the internet, you'll find that there's lots of discussion about nutritional um, management, herbal management. Um, so there's definitely lots of options out there. So the C word doesn't necessarily have to be as tragic as sometimes it seems that it is. Certainly there are those cases where it's Excuse me, I do actually have a call in um, with a question here. Can you hear us? Yeah. Yes, I can hear you. All right, perfect. Uh, you're on with the vets. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, is there any way to prevent cancer? I mean, what, uh, what can we do to watch our pets and prevent cancer from happening? Oh, that is that is a million-dollar question. If only we had an answer. You know, prevention in pets is a lot like prevention in people as far as trying to live a healthy lifestyle, get exercise, fresh air, good nutrition. Um, and cancer is a multifactorial disease. So there's genetic components. There are environmental components a lot of things that we just can't quite nail down or define, air quality, water quality, um, radiation exposure. Here in Colorado, we have a lot of uh, radiation exposure with our altitude and our sunny days. So there are some things you can do in certain cases, like if you have a pet with light or non-pigmented skin, some of those pitties and um, other breeds that have really pink in around their eyes and on their nose using sunscreen or trying to protect them from a lot of direct sun exposure is something you could do to try to prevent some tumors. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So you're telling me maybe I should move states and, and get out of Colorado? <laughs> uh, well, you might be one of the very few people actually on their way out as opposed to on their way in. <laughs> That's true. <Yeah. laughs> I have a yeah. I had a follow up question regarding that, which is just uh, if we want to use sunscreen, is there pet friendly sunscreens out there? Oh, there is, and I am blanking on the one off the top of my head. Do you know, Darren? I can't quite remember. 
Yeah, I can't remember the name, but I think you can get it. Is it a prescription one, or is it one that you can find at most pet stores or online? Yeah, you can find it online. Yeah. I don't recall the brand name offhand, but it's, you, you can Google Pet Safe Sunscreen, and, yeah. and there are certain products. That's mostly just for in areas that they can lick, is that right? Well, preferably you would put it on areas that they can't lick, like on their face. Right. Great. Anything else from the caller? No, I, I think that is it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, hey, that was awesome. Um, again, just as a reminder, this is Katie and Kay, Ask the Vet. Uh, we are here for you guys. If you have any questions, um, you can reach us at 963-2976. Uh, we were talking about Pet Cancer Awareness Month, and I think we're possibly segueing a little bit into the diabetes portion of it. Um, so diabetes is one of those other scary words that we hear. Um, <laughs> So what, gosh, I guess, where do we even start? How do we know if our pet has diabetes? So diabetes actually does usually manifest in ways that can be observed. So um, one of the things that people will see first is increased drinking mm -hmm. because diabetes, um, what it is, in, in it, there's type 1 and type 2. It's the same as in people, type 1 and type 2. Dogs tend to get type 1, which is where the pancreas can't produce enough insulin. Cats tend to get type 2, which is usually related to obesity and just poor response to the insulin. Um, but in, in both cases, what happens is you get high blood sugar, and that sugar spills over into the urine, and so they start peeing more, and then they need to drink more to replace those losses. So you'll see increased thirst. Um, you may also start to see some weight loss because even though they have all this sugar circulating in their bloodstream, the cells don't have the mechanism, the insulin, there's either not enough insulin or it's not working appropriately for the energy to get inside the cells for them to do what they need to do. So the animal will lose weight. Yeah, definitely. So it's definitely a little more, I guess, physically obvious than a cancer, which is kind of nice in the way that we can catch it um, before it gets too bad. Um, what, I guess for the people out there who want to know, obviously it'll be a blood test that will usually tell us what kind it is. Yep, so blood test and urine test. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then kind of just like humans managing it is injections on the daily, um, monitoring our the glucoses, making sure that we have that therapeutic range. Um, here's maybe a question that's probably not well-known, but is there a different insulin for pets versus what we use in humans? You know, there are. Yes and no. So in cats, we actually tend to use human products. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Atlantis is a human product, um, and we used to use another one, <laughs> Prozinc. It comes in a variety of different brand names. Um, but in dogs, we tend to use one that is specifically for canines. Gotcha. And that's the Vetsalin, right? Correct. Perfect. 
Now, is that one, is that the one that's derived from the uh, porcine or the pig's insulin? Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. They don't, they don't take it from dogs, that's no. for sure. Yeah, yeah. they manufacture <laughs> it from another All right, and we're coming up on our last minute or so here today. Uh, Anything you'd like to close with? Um, Gosh, I would say that in both cases for these, with being it cancer and diabetes, um, I feel like they aren't as scary as they seem. They're still scary, um, but we can definitely, there's things that we can do to help our friends, um, you know, live out their lives to the fullest that they can and be as comfortable as possible. Yeah, thanks so much for having us today. We're happy to answer questions. We'll be back in a few weeks. Thank you so much for being here and uh, have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks for having us. Bye. Bye. Bye.